Amen. Well, if you would take your Bible and turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. As we kind of continue examining life according to sound doctrine. Titus chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 9 through verse 15. It says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, to please them well in all things, not answering again, not poor learning, but showing all good fidelity that may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So the title of the message this morning is Serving the Lord Faithfully. Serving the Lord Faithfully. Let's pray, and then we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your word once again. Thank you that we have it preserved for us in our own language that we can study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, Lord, help me to rightly divide thy truth this morning and make application to our lives for our good and thy glory. Lord, we pray there be any in our midst this morning who realize that they were without Christ, without hope, without God in this world. They're not prepared for that coming again of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Father, if they're not prepared, that they might see their need today to repent, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who alone can save from sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this, this passage is really a kind of a continuation of what we've been looking at in chapter 2. It starts where it's verse 1, speak thou the things that become sound doctrine. Although we're going to be looking at a different aspect of life, particularly, uh, you know, and some would endeavor to discredit, discredit the Bible on account of the archaic language used in this passage, you might say, um, However, if you consider the use, the correct usage of the New Testament word servant here is not really that much different from which we use today in the word employee. Because the word servant means one who gives himself up. We're not talking about bondage, slavery, the word servant here, and, and that's, that's the word Paul uses over and over again in the New Testament when he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, or I, the servant of the Lord, he gave himself up to serve the Lord. He didn't, it wasn't that he had to, or he had no choice in the matter. You know, God, we are free moral agents, and we, can, we make choices to follow God or not to follow God. And, and so it's, the word servant here has a, a person, one who gives himself up to another. And the word, you know, the employee is a, is a, a person working for another for a wage. Were you ever forced, a forced employee? No, it's something you do by your own choosing. 
so, you know, and again, the word servant here is if one who gives himself up, is it not true that he's agreed to the reward that will be rendered for his service? If he's going to give himself up. In fact, you know, the word employee, employer is kind of a new word. Um, of course, the word employer is not talked about a lot in this passage, but a little bit, and we're going to look at that a little bit too. But, but the word employer, of course, refers to a person or business that employs one or more people, especially for wages or salary. Its first recorded use was around 1590 to 1600. So it's, it's a relatively newer word uh, than the word servant. You know, the word servant goes way back to the beginning of time. Uh, of course, to employ means to hire and engage the services of one. Uh, to keep in one service. And, and so again, remind ourselves that the word servant here is using of one who gives himself up. So we're not talking about forced indenture, but we're talking about service of choice, much like an employee or a lot like an employee. And anyway, laying all that aside, as Christians, our service, whether the service to an employer or to the government, or, uh, or submission to government, in a home or church, wherever it is, is to be done as unto who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.24 tells us that. So as we think of that, consider all that this morning, we're going to look at a couple things here. The practice of faithful servants exemplified, verses 9 and 10. And then we'll look at the practice of faithful service illustrated, verse 10. And then um, faithful service in duties of the world demonstrates the reality of, of God working in our life. So first of all, the practice of faithful service exemplified, verses 9 and 10. I want to look at, notice several things here. First of all, a, a, a faithful servant is one who's identified by obedience. Verse 9 says, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. And the word obedience means, simply means here, or obedient, Subject oneself unto, uh, and, we're to, and you know, he says to, they're to be obedient to their own masters. Again, remember the word servant here. We're not, ta- we're not talking about slavery. We're talking about uh, 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 servanthood by choice of the servant. So you could, you could uh, uh, there's a uh, very good parallel there between employer and employee. And he's to be subject unto. So if the master... Under his own master, if the master or the employer says we to start, we're going to start at seven thirty. You need to be there at seven thirty. You be there at seven thirty, ready to start at seven thirty. You know the employer's instructions concerning your work or responsibilities, as his employee, are to be followed. Are to be followed. You know he may give you some liberty. And how it is to be done. That's, that's possible. You know, sometimes when I give uh, responsibilities here at church of certain things, you know, I don't tell Ryan how to trim the bushes. I think Ryan knows how to do that. I think it's quite evident. But, but you know, I, I, I just gave him the responsibility of taking care of the yard. I didn't say, you know, you need to do this, A, B, C, and D, you know. No, he, I, he's been given a responsibility, but I have confidence, Ryan, that he knows how to fulfill that responsibility. So I didn't, I didn't micromanage it. You know. So the employer may give you some liberty in how that his orders are to be done, but they are to be done. Obedient. 
under your own masters. Second thing we see here, there's conduct that should be acceptable. Verse 9 again says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. Please them well in all things. And, and this means that they are, uh, it ought, what ought to be done ought to be pleasing or acceptable in their, their sight. You know, this should be the driving force or attitude of your service. I want to please my employer. I want to please, please those have, who have given me a responsibility. A job is a responsibility that you've been given, that you're receiving a reward for. Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and, and, and acceptable. You know, our service to God, God desires it, it is acceptable. And this is the same word that's used here when it says, Please them well. So we're to do that which is acceptable in all things. And again, he's talking about servants and masters. We would say employees, employers. 2 Corinthians 5.9 uses the same word. Wherefore we labor, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Ephesians 5.10, proving what is acceptable on the Lord. So we, we would put out for some effort, you know, as Christians, God wants us to, to diligently study his word, to, to take heed to the, to the preaching and teaching the word of God, and to study his word and meditate upon it, that we may prove or f- discover what is pleasing to God. And so as employees, this is what, This is how we should conduct ourselves. It should be our driving force or our attitude of service. You know, too many today just 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 go to work, they punch in a time clock, they just put in their time to get their money, they have no consideration to what how the business is going or how the business prospers. They could care less. All they want is their reward. And businesses suffer because of it. They just do what they have to, just to get some money. You know, I shop a lot at Lowe's in Wake Forest. I'm told that that's my favorite store. And I guess it would be the place that I probably shop more than anything else, anywhere else. But you know, I notice that there's some employees in there that take an interest in how the business profits, and then there's others that could give a rip. They don't care less. They could care less. And departments suffer. Businesses suffer because employees have that kind of attitude. It's a selfish. If you are the kind of employee that takes an interest that your business Despite the fact that you don't own it, but that your business profits, it will turn around and profit you. Your employers take notice. Take notice. And see, we should be, we should be doing that which is pleasing. Please them well in all things. This is the same words translated... Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And so, we should be conduct, 
should be accessible. Third thing we see here as servants exemplified is without contradiction. Their service should be without contradiction. Again, verse 9 says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, tend to please them well in all things, not answering again. Now the word not answering again means to not speak against, to gainsay, to contradict. To oppose, really, think about this, to oppose oneself to one. To decline to obey. To declare oneself against another. So when you when you're if you're not if you're answering again or you're contradicting or you're gainsaying, really you're opposing yourself. You're hurting yourself. You're these people that don't care about their employer's business are really hurting themselves. They're really hurting themselves because they're gonna hurt the business. This is like sowing discord in a business. In Acts chapter 13, verse 45, Paul said, When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting, that's the, in the word, the word against, spake against, and contradicting and blaspheming. So they were, they were contradicting, they were answering again, they were, they were opposing, and, and when they opposed the the truth of the gospel, were they not opposing themselves? Romans 10, 21. But to Israel he saith, All day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. All they do is try to contradict me. That's what God was saying. You don't want to be a person that contradicts your employer. Proverbs 6, 12 for 14 says this, An naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth. That word froward has the idea of stubborn. He winketh with his feet, he speaketh, or some, I'm sorry, he winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers. Frowardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually, he soweth discord. You know, you may not be able to work for everybody. But you ought not to try and divide or destroy a man's business. Your Bible says here, not answering again, contradicting. So our conduct should be without contradiction or gainsaying. Fourthly, and this ought to be a no-brainer for a people of God, without cheating or stealing. Notice verse 10. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. That word purloin is an old English word. It means to set apart or separate for oneself, embezzle, uh, withdraw uh, covertly or secretly, and appropriate to one's own use. It really means to steal. And, and the, it's uh, illustrated for us, and it's, it's the same word is translated kept back in uh, Acts chapter 5, where it says a certain man named Ananias, fire with his wife, sold a possession and kept back. So they secretly devised a plan to keep back part of the price 
and his wife also being privy to it, and bought certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, so this was really like an embezzling of money. They said they sold it for so much, but they secretly kept back part of it and didn't tell what they really sold it for. Again, Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, The children of Israel committed a trespass and a cursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and <coughs> excuse me, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So, so here, here Achan was stealing what was to be given to the Lord, or be kept by the Lord. And he did it secretly. You know, this, this purloining or this stealing could be time. Probably the biggest stealing or embezzling in business in America is time. Time. Uh, <clears throat> you know, punch cards have cut down on that, but it still happens. Money, products. You know, there was a, it's kind of funny, I think, but in uh, 1976, I think it was, Johnny Cash, I used to listen to Country Western, but Johnny Cash wrote a song, and it's just a, just a, you know, a country song. There isn't really anything t- more, uh, uh, you know, it isn't a, a rock song or anything like that, but he wrote this song. It was called One Piece at a Time, and it's a good picture of poor warning. And it's a song about a poor assembly line worker who dreams of owning a beautiful Cadillac. So he devised a plan how he would steal it one piece at a time. One piece at a time. So, and, and the lyrics go like this, I'll get it one piece at a time and it won't cost me a dime. You know it's me when I come riding through your town. I've got to ride around in style. Going to drive everybody wild because I have the only one there's around. And it tells about how he takes things home in his big lunchbox and steals the big parts out in his buddy's camper. And the end of the song, you know, he's asked, What model is it? And he said, It's a 4950, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59 automobile. Now, how'd he get all that? He poor Lauren. He stole it. Now, the, you know, the assembly line. You know, several years ago when I was pastoring in Maine, I still remember I was pastoring in Maine at the time, there was a Catholic priest or an Anglican priest, I can't remember exactly who it was, in England, said it was all right to steal from corporations because they were not people. No, God calls it purloining. And he says it ought not to be the conduct of God's people. Thou shalt not steal is still true. And if you want the anger of the Lord kindled against you like it was against Achan, Achan, then try it. I wouldn't recommend it. No. And then the fifth thing we see here is a demonstration of trustworthiness. Notice again verse 10. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So 
it says we're to be showing all good fidelity. Showing here means to demonstrate or prove, and it could be by an argument or by your acts. You know, we're to be a witness to the lost world by our speech and by our actions. We don't want to be those that contradict our speech by our actions. You know, fidelity has the idea of faithfulness or, or the character of one who can be relied on. You know, can you be relied upon to do your job right without constant oversight? Without the boss looking over your shoulder to make sure you're doing it right? I remember my dad saying one time, he's talking to the biggest dairyman in Huntington County at the time. And he said, he got the suspicion that his work orders for the days weren't being carried out to the well, too well. So one, you know, because this guy at that time was milking, I think, 3,000 cows. You know, well, most of us were working, milking less than 50. You know, and he farmed thousands of acres. Anyway, so he, one day he, you know, at, at the morning meeting with all his employees that concerned this, he, he, and the foreman and everything, he, he, you know, gave all the orders for the day, and, and, uh, and he went out the back, he went out, he, he left, went out the front door, got in his pickup, drove around, and snuck in the back door. And after he snuck in the back door, he heard the foreman saying, is he gone? Now we can do what we want, kind of thing. Nevertheless, I don't think that employee stayed. No. Can you be relied upon to do your job right without constant oversight? Can you be relied on for quality performance of duties? Can you be relied upon to be responsible and honest with that which belongs to another? Can you be relied upon to finish the job if you have received payment up front? I've heard many people complain. I've seen it on Nextdoor app about contractors who took money and then didn't finish the job. You see, we should be people that are considered trustworthy. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Paul gives an example of this in his son in the faith, Timothy. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 19, he says, But I trust the Lord Jesus, send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So he said, I have, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. You know, we should, be, we should be employees that care about our employer's state of things. State of things. Paul, when Paul wrote Philemon in Verses 5 and 6, there really is one chapter. He says this about Philemon, verses 5 and 6. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, 
that communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. See, he was attesting to the character of Philemon. You know, well, would people give you their keys and leave their house while you're working there? Will they give you the code to their garage that has lots of tools in it? Can you be relied on? You know, we ought to be a demonstration of good fidelity, of faithfulness, of reliability. We're not to just do our work as men pleasers. Ephesians chapter uh, 5, I'm sorry, chapter 6, and verses 5 and 6. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. See, that's an employee who does his job regardless if there's oversight or not. He does it because he believes it's his responsibility before God to do it. And it's pleasing to God. The second thing we see here is the practice of faithful service illustrated. In verse 10 again it says, Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn, and here it is, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now, they may adorn is, 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 is a, it's used metaphorically, or it's a giving us a word picture here. It means to embellish with honor or gain honor uh, uh, by, by, by the act by which the honor is gained. So it's, it's gaining honor by an act of us. So, so when you do your service as to the Lord for your employer, you are gaining an honor by that act. And it's an honor that shows the doctrine of God. In all things. Uh, <clears throat> for example, 1 Peter 3, 5. After this man in old time, the holy women also who trust in God adorned themselves. And it's not talking about their clothing. It's talking about their, their demeanor. Being in subjection unto their own husbands. So they were declaring the doctrine of God by submitting to their own husbands. They were declaring the doctrine of God. So we are... As employees, we are declaring the doctrine of God when we submit ourselves or are obedient to our, our, our employers, when we please them well in all things, and when we show good fidelity or reliability, we're, we're demonstrating to them the doctrine of God. Do you know what you're saying? You're saying that God can be relied on. That's what you're saying. God can be relied on. You know, these are commands that God gives us of the Lord and how we ought to conduct ourselves. Uh, and it demonstrates to the world the doctrine of God. When you're honest, 
you fulfill your responsibilities. You have a care and concern that you do them well. And you show that. You can be trusted. What you're showing is that God is worthy. God is reliable. God can be trusted by your example. By your example. You know, our adorning should that which become a sound doctrine in every area of life. You know, considering our work or employee, employee relationships, these are things, the commands of the Lord and how we are to conduct ourselves. Now, again, we, we know we don't live in a perfect world, and this is not commanding loyalty to unjust treatment or unjust demands uh, or employing ourselves in businesses that violate righteousness, but... But our conduct as employees and employers ought to be one of honest service to one another as if we are serving our Lord who is faithful to reward the faithful and chastise the unfaithful. You see, our work is to be a living testimony to the power and glory of God. A picture, if you will, of the doctrine or the teaching of God. After all, that is who we represent. Look at a couple of verses here. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Now, if you're an untrustworthy employee, do you think they'd ever consider giving time to listen to you share a testimony about Christ? Ephesians 5, 6, 5 through 9 says this, Servants, be obedient to them of your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and signals of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Colossians three twenty-two. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. There's that, that thing eye service again. As men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So he addresses servants and masters, or we would say employees and employers. And there's no respect. A person's with God. No matter whether you're an employer or employee, you do wrong. God's going to reward you for your wrong or chastise you for your wrong. And then chapter 1 Timothy 6 and verses 1 and 2 also talks about this very same thing. 1 Timothy 6 verses 1 and 2. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, 
because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So, you were to honor those masters, those who we work for, uh, and, and of course, uh, especially the believing masters, not to despise them because they are brethren, but were to do service. And so, so these is, this, is the, this is how the practice is illustrated in the scriptures. Uh, we're to adorn, again, showing all good fidelity of faithfulness, and, and a, which demonstrates an adorning or a putting on or a practicing of the doctrine of God. You, know, you do just as much declaring the truth of God by your conduct as you do by your speech. Somebody told me here recently as I was visiting that he has a veteran friend that he has witnessed to on several occasions and he said, I, I don't think he's saved. But he said one time, he said, I'm going to watch you. I'm going to watch you. You know, the world watches us. The world watches and the devil uses that watching to look for opportunities to discredit the doctrine of God. But as we, as, you know, and I've often said this, Christians should be the best employees the world has. And if we are faithful, it will declare the doctrine of God to, to the world, to our employers. And then thirdly, lastly, faithful service and duties of the world demonstrates the reality of our relationship with the Lord. I know that's rather long, but faithful service and duties of the world. You know, we live in this world. We have duties and responsibilities in this world. But they demonstrate, our faithfulness and service there demonstrates the reality of our relationship with the Lord. In verses 11 through 15, declare this. And I'm going to spend more time here, probably Lord willing, next week. But, but I want to touch on this because... This verse 11 starts with a conjunction which connects it with preceding verses. So it says, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works." These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And so again, it starts with a conjunction for. So this is what the grace of God teaches us. And we just explained how denying ungodly worldly lusts are exemplified in everyday life. Life is not about me, myself, and I. Paul declared that very emphatically in Philippians chapter 2 in verses 1 through 4 when he said this, Philippians 2 verses 1 through 4, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through thrife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things. And right there is the big problem in our world today. Every man looks on his own things. 
but every man also in the things of others. You know, if you want to be blessed to the Lord, you need to look on things of others. Look outside yourself. What is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is that? Looking every man also in the things of others? It's the same idea. Loving your neighbor as yourself. So, the grace of God, he says, teaches us. Now, that word teaching means to cause one to learn. By the way, the world doesn't teach you those things. You have to learn them. That's God's people. You know, it it can mean to chastise or castigate with words or to correct. It has the idea of molding the character of others by reproof and admonition. You know, in contrary to many liberal-leaning preachers, the grace of God does not teach that as Christians we're liberated from the guilt and power of sin and we can live any way we want to as long as our heart's right. That is about the biggest lie the devil ever hatched. The grace of God doesn't teach us that we can live any way we want to. No, the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness, word lust, to live righteously and godly in this present world. You know, that philosophy of the world or the liberal believing preachers contradicts the example and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I do always these, those things that please him, that is my father. What was he doing? He was denying himself. He said, Not my will, but thine be done. It, 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 it contradicts the, the teachings of the apostles. The apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Or Peter who said in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And I could go on and on and on. That's not my purpose this morning. My purpose is, look, Grace of God teaches us that, or demonstrates to us that, and to the world, a reality of our relationship with the Lord. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, and to live righteously and godly in this present world. You know, he, he uses some of the same terminology here in verse 12, to live soberly. You know, soberly has the idea of what is sensible, what is in moderation, of right thinking, um, you know, not 
not uh, emotionally driven, intoxicated with, with, with the things of this world. Uh, righteously, what is right according to the word of God. You know, these things aren't really that difficult. What is godly, or you might say godlike. You know, we need to think and conduct ourselves according to biblical patterns that are given us in the scripture. You know, a biblical pattern is that you obey your master. You obey those in authority over you. You do what is acceptable to them. You don't argue against say or do discord or steal or cheat. That's a biblical pattern. We pattern our lives and our conduct, our church, according to the blueprint that he has given us. This is the blueprint. And not think we're intellectually superior and we know better. So often, many times people think they know better than the boss does. Well, in some cases that may be true. But he's still the boss. He's still the boss. He's still your employer. But I can assure you one thing, you don't know better than God does. Not intellectually superior, or, you know, just to get results. Ephesians 6, 6, again says, Not with eye service, as man pleases, but a servant of Christ. You know, we have to do what is scriptural. You know, Peter talks about, First Peter talks a lot about suffering. But he, one of the things he says over and over is, is we need to do what is scriptural, or what is after the pattern given us in the scriptures. What is God like? In 1 Peter 2.15, he says this, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. First Peter 3.17, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So don't, 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 allow, don't allow you be accused of evil. Don't give place to that, even in the workplace. 1 Peter 4.19 Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto faithful grace. You, you may suffer. You may be made fun of. In our world today, many times if you do well and that which is pleasing and honoring to those over you, sometimes you're made fun of by those who don't want to do that. You may be reproached for that. But remember, the Lord will reward you for your faithful service. So if you suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of your souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. You see, we're to do all things according to the pattern. You know, when it says whatever is godly in this present world, it's what is God like? What is pleasing to the Lord? You, Moses was told in Exodus 25, verse 9, he said, the Lord told Moses, according to all that I, sh- I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, uh, even so shall ye make it. In Hebrews 8, 5, he says, he says that uh, we have been given a pattern. Hebrews 8, 5. It says this, 
who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mat. And so what he's saying is, we've been given a pattern for life, for our conduct in this world, our conduct as employees, as employers, and we are commanded by the Lord to follow it. It demonstrates the doctrine of God to the world. You know, we can be a great testimony to those we work with if we adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Or we can be a reproach to the testimony of God. But the Lord says, they exhort servants to be obedient. We're to exhort to adorn the doctrine of God by your conduct in whatever place you find. In your own, you know, I, one of the things I I've, I've say every once in a while, we're to be witnesses in our, each of our own little world. There are places you work and people you meet that I will never meet. That you may meet, that someone over here will never meet. And you are given an opportunity by God to be a witness in your own little world. Your workplace. The people you rub shoulders with. And that witness is by your speech but it's also by your conduct. Are we commending, are we commending the doctrine of God showing all good fidelity to the world in which we work? We can be a testimony to the grace of God.